Hey, Revenue Radio, it's Mary Grothy, and we are back with a very special guest. And this is awesome because Chelsea joined us a couple of months ago. In fact, you were in like the first one or two episodes as we relaunched the Revenue Radio season. Yeah. In fact, I think I was your first guest that wasn't part of House of Revenue. Okay. That's amazing because now she's guessing again, but in a different role because she is a part of House of Revenue. Ooh, yeah. She accepted a CMO position with us and has been hitting the ground running. We have one client that she's currently engaged with, with Heather on our team, and they are having such a phenomenal time working together with that company to figure out how they're going to benchmark that product and service against the competition and really help them scale. It's very innovative and it's in an interesting industry that's a little outdated and can use some help. Yeah. Definitely. It's definitely an outdated and archaic, dare I say, industry, but we're having the best time. We're getting really great results and we're not even a month in and it's just so fun and working with Heather and being on this team honestly has been amazing. Yeah. You guys are, well, you ladies are a power duo (laughs) for sure. But today we're talking about right people, right seats. This is a conversation around current staffing, headcount, and also recruiting. And before jumping over here to House of Revenue, Chelsea was working in the recruiting industry, which is amazing. So we have some in-house knowledge now while we'll have this conversation. And I just want to open it up with my two cents on what does right people, right seats even mean? And then I'd love to hear you comment on that. We, it's in a book somewhere. Do you know the book? where right people, right seats came from. I don't know. Okay. So I'm completely like drawing a blank. Maybe somebody can send us a message. And yeah. Tell us someone's what probably it. like screaming at the, yes. their phones. Like it's this book. It's one of the ones like Jim Collins or good to great or one of those, or it's uh, Neil, was it Rackhamer? It's one of those great business books that we've all read. And I think okay. it's even adopted in EOS and traction and or yeah, like Rockefeller habits or something. It's in one of those. This is like an age old thing, right? People, right seats. Sometimes you have the right person, but they're in the wrong seat. Yeah. I mean, that, that absolutely happens. I think it happens far more often than we even know. Even with our clients now, we have really amazing employees who are dedicated to the brand. They (laughs) love the vision, but they're just either not necessarily underqualified, but their skill set just doesn't meet that specific role. So it's like, how do you look at the system, the organization as a whole and position each person adequately so that your entire company is up leveled and that everyone feels supported, feels seen, feels challenged, but in a way that's going to provide, and I hate to use this term, but the most bang for your buck. Yeah. Hey, we have to be honest about this too, because we're going into this quote unquote recession. I think it's very different than what we went through last time in 2008, but we are seeing it's more, I guess they're calling it the tech bubble burst this time versus a real estate bubble burst, but we are seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of layoffs. We're seeing so many restructurings inside of companies. And we even had a restructure as a company house of revenue did about six months ago. It took us about three months to fully work through it. And it was um, a very difficult situation to navigate and to figure out, but on a dime, the market shifted and the economy shifted and inflation hit last summer. I mean, Q3 stopped people in their tracks in 2022. And so we had to adapt and shift because our clients were demanding something different. They needed something different. Our employees needed something different. And we had to act very quickly in order to meet the demands of both clients and employees. But now fast forward in 2023, 
it's even rockier and people are trying to figure it out. So let's talk about this because right people, right seats. They may have been the right person for that seat prior to all these economic shifts and changes. But what does an organization do, Chelsea? Like this is a hard conversation. What do they do if they were the right person for that time? But now the shifts, the the company needs to change. Like the roles need to shift. You need to ask different things of people. What if that person isn't capable of doing what the company now needs to do? So I think there's so many different ways you can look at this. I think you tapped on something that was really important and that's adapt and shift. Instead of being super reactionary and doing, and I totally understand needing to do massive layoffs if you are really tight on your budget, but also I think it comes down to getting real, getting honest, not only with yourself and your company, but with your employees. Maybe exactly like what you were alluding to, maybe they have to take on more. Maybe they have to shift their role Mm -hmm. and get honest with them and very clear and be like, hey, times have changed. Things are changing. This is the new way that we're doing things. Not only are you okay with it, but can you do this? I'm going to, I would like to be a betting woman and say eight out of 10 times employees are willing to change and adapt with your company. If you approach it in a, in a soft, kind, changing, adaptable manner, instead of like pushing them to the edge of now you're going to do a million and one things because we had to cut budget. We had to cut staff. We had to cut everything. It's like, okay, we, uh, we all understand times are a little rockier. 2023 is going to be interesting. It'll be very telling. I think within the first quarter to Mm -hmm. see how things shake out. But I think the, the overarching theme is getting honest, getting clear And being able to sit down with your staff and set a a game plan. Maybe your organization has to completely shift and adapt. That's okay. There's, I mean, you know it. Uh, It is a little too well. Right? It is, change is not a bad thing. Adapting and shifting is great. Okay. So let me throw this out there. Okay. There's a leader in our local Denver community. Her name is Alicia Huck. She's an unbelievable uh, business and organizational specialist, especially when it comes around people and operations. And she wrote a post, oh gosh, it has to be a year ago or more, maybe even more. And it was all centered around vision, clarity, and alignment. That the key when you are going through a shift as an organization and you want to lead people through that shift and you want to help them navigate is a reminder that oftentimes it's the people at the top of the organization who are the ones that have the vision and they understand it and they know what needs to happen. But the further removed you get from executive leadership, you have people who, one, may not have the emotional capacity for change, two, may be more in a fear mindset, scarcity mindset, and they don't take change in information well. And when we do that, we then create shakeups inside of our organizations. We can harm our culture. It can harm productivity. And it really harms the employee's wellness, which is not fair to them. So leadership needs to take the onus of if they're going to be creating these changes to focus on the vision. What is the vision? And how can you cast the vision so that it is clear? The clarity component is critical Mm -hmm. because you could sit here and ramble off a big vision, but if you didn't take the big strategy part of it and then disseminate that into what are the strategic or not strategic, excuse me, the tactical components, 
as a part of the plan and how are we going to accomplish this and who is going to do what? Like when you think about the clarity step, it's the who, what, where, when, why. 100%. And then there's the alignment. So then you have to get the buy-in from the people who are going to be a part of the who, what, where, when, why. And you've got to get them in on the plan, understanding how they're going to be held accountable, what good looks like, how performance is measured, how we're going to work towards outcomes. And then also what are the repercussions if things aren't met? But I also think that with the alignment, it's easier to get in alignment when you're clear. Because if you set clear goals, clear expectations, clear vision, again, I think most of your employees, they've already bought into the system. They've are, they're already there. They're already committed. Mm-hmm. So even getting even clearer and more uh, st- even strategic and mm-hmm. tactical in your approach, I think is going to result or lead to astronomical results in, a, in alignment. Mm-hmm. Your team your team wants to succeed. Your team wants your organization to succeed. Mm-hmm. But if they don't know the steps to get to where you're trying to go in that vision and it's not mm-hmm. clearly outlined or if it continues to change and evolve and you're trying to put the cart before the horse, which happens, right? And yes. you learn and you make mistakes, but owning it, yeah. being accountable and then getting clear, resetting, realigning, Somebody sent me a nice inspirational message this week. It says, to be a leader is to make mistakes. Thousand percent. <laughs> Thank you for the forgiveness, for the mercy and the grace. Um, yes, leaders right now, executives right now are struggling. I have the privilege of networking and communicating with a lot of them and it is hard. The end of 2022 shook people, shook companies, shook business plans, shook sales plans, shook employment shook a lot of things. And now we're in 2023 with more uncertainty, more confusion, more unknowns, and people are scrambling. And I think one of the most important components is that you have alignment from your team. Because if you put the weight and the stress only on the executives, that's a very small group. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of point of failure there. Also, if the greater team doesn't understand what's going on, there might be some unspoken expectations that happen. Because in your own mind or in your little executive meetings, you're solving for a lot of things. And then you're wanting to see different results, but you didn't cascade the message to everyone else. Okay, so let's hop off this topic a little bit and go into the recruiting part. So when we have right people, right seats, one of the things I like to do is to create a matrix for each role. So we truly understand the qualities of the person because it's not just what you would see standard on a resume, like, uh, you know, their past work experience or their education, but we also have to look at other components of the role. Smaller companies sometimes need people with high threshold of risk and change and more entrepreneurial. So you do look at some of the characteristics. Some people also need to have things like a high figure it out factor. Other times you want people that are just machines in execution. That's like my husband, we're opposites. My husband, the other day, we were uh, talking about what his future is going to look like. He's done the same job for almost 22 years. And oh, wow. we were talking about running a company on the side or starting something up or, you know, different ideas of jobs he could do. And he's like, Hey, I really love your ideas, but they're all very entrepreneurial. And he says, I don't know that. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. He goes, I will flourish in an environment where I show up to a job where someone says, do these five things and I'm going to do 
them extremely well. I'm going to please them and I'm going to go home for the day and not think about it till I come back the next morning. So I say that because some people are so beautifully wired in a very different way. So when you look at the matrix for a role and you're looking to fill a position, please like go past the, they need these the eight skills yeah. and they need to do like, who is the person? Because the skills aren't the, what's showing up to the job. The person's showing up to the job. So we need to focus more on that. So you did a lot of work in recruiting. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the tactics or strategies that you've leveraged to help find the right person for the seat? It's exactly what you touched on. It is getting to know that person, who they are, not just looking at their resume and saying, oh, you've done this, you've created this, you went here, you've done this, you worked there. It is about getting to, they call it soft skills. Mm -hmm. So what are those skills that that individual is going to bring to the team that's going to level up the team? So are they someone that is going to go the extra mile because they need to in that role? Because like you said, is it a startup? Is it a small business? Mm -hmm. Do they need to be scrappy? Or is it someone where you're like, hey, we just need X, Y, and Z done every day and detailed and well. And if that person does that, boom, that is it. But then it's also being willing and able to invest in your employees and not, and not just monetarily. Yes, right now is a tough time, but invest in them in ways that matter to them. What do they want to see? Do they want to see more vacation days? Do they appreciate work-life balance? Do they want to work from home? And I know that right now with a work from home is kind of a, a tricky topic and oh, a lot tricky. of, yeah, <laughs> so tricky. Um, but it's, it's being, uh, malleable mm -hmm. to different needs and wants that, you know, you need and you want. So it's a, again, coming back to that alignment and that clarity of, all right, I need someone that is going to fit this box but maybe they don't have 25 years experience, but yes. after talking to them, they truly fit this role that the soft skills, in my opinion, mm. trumps the hard skills because you can teach anyone anything, but you cannot teach them a characteristic trait. Yeah, there's a, I'll push back a little bit. I think, I, I think you can't teach anyone anything. Okay. I think that some roles require a very specific set of skills. I can speak from experience here at House of Revenue as a third party consultant, as fractional CROs and CMOs, we can't bring in people that we teach. We, we have to look for the unicorn. We have to find people who have the skills already and have and. the characteristics and the soft skills. And, and it's some employers face that as well. They don't have an environment where they can teach, train, mentor, and develop. They have to have people that can hit the ground running, be proficient and execute and execute extremely well, which makes filling that seat even more difficult. There's so much pressure to perform. A lot of my CEO friends that are in professional services have experienced the same challenge, especially when you're in sub 5 million range in annual revenue as a professional services company. It's difficult because you don't typically have middle level management and professional services. Most often what you have are billable employees, whether you're mm -hmm. paid by the hour or it's just project based or retainer based. And so you're focusing on profitability from an easy calculation of what are we charging our clients versus how many billable hours do we have and who's doing the work. Typically your margins are set on that as you grow out of the gate 
because you don't have much overhead. So your margins are pretty set and clear. But as the company grows, you add infrastructure and you add needs. But one of the most expensive tasks for a scaling professional services company when they reach a certain threshold of employees is when they need to bring in middle-level management because it's a direct cut out of profitability yeah. and it doesn't, it, it they're not billable. So they don't add, it's just a cost center. And when you add the middle-level management, then it opens up the opportunity for you to bring in junior-level talent who has the soft skills, but they're ready to be trained. And that's usually one of the biggest growth challenges between 5 million and 10 million in revenue. And again, I'm speaking specific to professional services is you cut your profit significantly to get over that hump because you have to add infrastructure you never had before. And then you can go into like, hey, we can teach people, we can build... Like we have enough stability and infrastructure and we're not at financial risk at this point. We have enough really good clients or if we lost a client, you know, it wouldn't be like ah, to the bottom line, but there are some companies that absolutely cannot <laughs> teach and train. And so we're looking for these unicorns out of the gate, which puts even more stress and pressure. So what have you seen to be successful for companies like that, who, especially in your recruiting days, did any employer come to you and say like, We've got to have the unicorn. We have to have yes. them at this skill set. How do you screen for that and interview for that and really determine that they have all of it? Because the risk of a mishire could be devastating to some companies. Totally. And in fact, I think a mishire is so detrimental. And that is why it is so important to have the right person in the right seat. And yes. And maybe I misspoke slightly. Yes, I do agree that you can, you you cannot teach everyone everything. That some people are stronger in certain areas. But if you have a larger company, that applies. But if you have a smaller company where you need a unicorn, that is where you have to double down on your investment. Your unicorns are going to come at a cost. Yes, they are. Did you hear that? Say that one more time. Your unicorns will come at a cost. Okay, wait. So I'm going to let you finish your thought, but I'm going to hone in on this because a lot of small business CEOs that we work with have this perception that there are unbelievable revenue driving unicorns out there willing to work for $65,000 a year with an unknown company that doesn't quite have product market fit yet, has never had a high performing salesperson or accomplished a plan. They're going for scale. They're adopting a new market engine that they haven't fully tested out or have a year or two yet and running and they want to find a unicorn and an absolute dynamite person to come in. And I'm seeing some of the initial like, well, we could have a base salary between maybe 65 to 80K a year. Like, is that going to fly? We're like, ah, not for what you want. No, that's like junior level talent. Kids out of college are getting that salary. It's like if for what you need in this stage and the entrepreneurial person that you need and all that, I mean, we're coming back and in some cases, like you need to be prepared at a 150 base, a 300 OTE, or not even having a commissionable variable component because there are so many unknowns in the organization because you're still in the building testing and optimizing phase. You're not yet to scale. And so you may not even have variable. You may go all base for the first six months. So they have guaranteed comp. Anyway, I'm going to let you finish your statement because that is probably one of the biggest misconceptions that we run into is they're like, oh yeah, we can get that person or talent, you know, at this rate, you absolutely cannot get that person or talent that rate. And what will happen is if you find someone willing to work at that 65 or 80 K base, they're going to promise you the sun, moon, and stars. And then you're going to have six months of non-performance. Then you're going to be in that 
horrible position where you have to put someone on a PIP. You have to let them go. You've missed out on six months of productivity and performance, which could potentially has cost your company hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, which you would have just had if you spent the right $200,000 the first time, but you felt better spending 75 or 80K and then it ended up costing you half a million dollars. Yeah. And I mean, time is money, right? You just wasted six months of something that you were promised and didn't get. So, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. It is, it's, it is monetary at the end of the day, you get what you pay for someone who is willing to come in at $80,000. You've let's be honest, probably done that before. And that's why you're needing to hire again, because you did find someone that was at the 80 K and they came in and they were like, all right, I can do all of this. And then six months later, didn't really happen. So they're like, it's rinse and repeat, right? So how do you change that cycle? You increase your budget. At the end of the day, you have to pay your employees what they're worth. They're putting in the time. They're going the extra mile. You're finding these unicorns. You have to double down. Yeah, I completely agree. This has been such an incredible episode. Why have I not had you back sooner? Like I'm kicking myself under the table because you're brilliant, you're amazing, and you're lovely, and I'm so grateful for you. Uh. Likewise, likewise. (laughs) Why do you think I'm here? Oh, this is so incredible. With that, we're going to wrap today's show. We welcome feedback always. If you want to add to the conversation, you're welcome to in comments. You can reach out to us, connect with us on LinkedIn. But on that note, Chelsea, like, please come back next month. Okay. Okay, great. I have access to your calendar. I'm just going to schedule it on there. She's like, we have this recorded, so you're held accountable. She doesn't have a choice. (laughs) All right. Until next time. Thank you.